Welcome to episode 229 of the Pioneering Today podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be walking you through the exact varieties that we grow here on the homestead in our garden because I have gotten several questions from you guys asking me which specific varieties that we are growing. But before we dive into that, I wanted to say welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, best-selling author of three books, including my brand new book, which just released, The Family Garden Plan, Grow a Year's Worth of Healthy and Sustainable Food. My goal is to help you grow, raise, cook, and preserve your own organic food, no matter how big or little your homestead is. Because I believe that homemade and homegrown is living at its best. Now, before I tell you the exact specific varieties that we grow, I do need to preface this by saying that these varieties I have picked specifically for my cooler, more northern climate. I live in the Pacific Northwest of Washington State. I'm about an hour and a half from the Canadian border, and we're up in the foothills of the North Cascade Mountain Range. That means I have about 150 days of warm weather growing time, so for regular summer annual vegetable garden. And the reason that I preface that is because Finding the correct varieties is not just about flavor and just picking a certain type of squash. You need varieties that are specifically going to do well based on your growing climate. Now, if you didn't listen to episode number 226, which was the biggest garden planning mistakes and how to avoid them, when you're done listening to this episode, that might be one might be one that you want to go and check out because I dive in a little bit more how to decide the crops that you're going to be growing based on your climate. I also talk about it and walk you through it step by step with charts in the Family Garden Plan, which I did mention was my brand new book and released yesterday, right? So I highly recommend that you go to familygardenplan.com. You can check out the worksheets, the charts, as well as a ton of bonuses that are going to help you grow and raise your own food. But let's get to my varieties now that I kind of have prefaced and let out with that. Now, some of these varieties, if you've been following me, watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast or following the blog at all. You've heard me mention some of these before, but I'm going to lay it out into this list. Now, we grow more than the list that I'm going to be giving you. But the reason I don't have every single variety laid out, or you might not hear me mention every single variety, is there are still varieties and still certain different crops that I'm still testing. And I don't feel like I found the variety yet that I'm like going to stick to like hard and fast no matter what. And that's the way I feel about these varieties that I'm going to be listing out for you here. Now, I am going to share them with you here over the air in the podcast. But if you want to be able to look at them, maybe you're going to be placing a seed order pretty soon and you want to actually look at them, you can access the blog post that accompanies every podcast episode for the written typed out list at melissaknorris.com forward slash 229, just the number 229 because this is episode number 229. Okay, so starting, and I kind of have these done in alphabetical order, 
is acorn squash. Acorn squash is a winter squash. We love acorn squash. It's uh, very naturally sweet flavored. We like to use it as a side. I usually prepare it with a little bit of butter and brown sugar and just a dash of cinnamon. And the variety that we like and all of the varieties that I'm going to be listing for you guys, of course, are heirloom varieties because we grow an all heirloom seed garden. But the acorn squash variety that I grow is a table queen. And usually I do about four, usually four to five plants of the acorn squash. Now for our beans, this is not going to come as any surprise to you, but we grow for our green beans, my family's strain of heirloom seeds, which is a Tar Heel green pole bean that we have been seed saving for over 100 plus years in my family, generations going back and counting. Now, I'm sharing this variety with you, but it's not one that you're going to find. I've seen a, a couple of people have shared with me um, a company that it looks like the same variety as mine. It's in the Midwest. And so I haven't actually gotten seed from them because I use my own to know if it's the exact same, but it looks really similar. But to get my exact strain of these green beans, I don't sell them. There's quite a few laws actually in Washington state um, regarding selling seeds. And it's just, I don't grow enough to do it and to sell it commercially. So to get my green beans, what I do is they are a bonus that is given out in the springtime to current members of the Pioneering Today Academy. So we will be having open enrollment in February. So you definitely want to be on the email list. You can get on the notify list when we do open the doors again for the Pioneering Today Academy to get more information about that. But that is how you actually get the seeds is a bonus. And part of the reason for that is because I walk you through, we have a full seed saving course inside the academy so that I can make sure that you know how to seed save from them, how to store them and how to keep them going on correctly for your own family and hopefully future generations. And you'll be able to pass them down. The third one that we grow is a shelled bean and it's called an October bean. Now, this is also when my family has been seed saving, but I promise it's just these two. The rest of the list you are going to be easily able to find from many heirloom seeds company seed sources. But the October bean is what we do is a shelled bean. It's not one that we eat like a fresh green bean. And it's kind of it seems to be very similar looking to a cranberry bean from what I've seen in other heirloom seed catalogs and that type of a thing. It's meaty. It's bigger than a pinto bean. I think it has. I like the flavor and texture better myself. It is larger as well. It just has a really good It's hard to describe like a dried bean flavor, like when you cook it, because it's influenced by obviously what you're cooking with it. But it's got a mild flavor with maybe a hint of a little bit of almost like a creaminess to it. I know that sounds weird, but that's kind of the only way I know how to describe it. I feel like it creates a creamier naturally uh, soup or soup beans with ham hock is one of my favorites to do or like a bean soup or if I put it in a stew or a soup, I feel like it adds a, a creaminess of a texture Um, to it more so than some of the other like a kidney or a red bean or pinto bean that type of thing but I use it similar to how you would those okay up next is our beets and I really like both the Crasby's Egyptian and an early wonder beet both of those have performed really well I like them for fresh eating they do well for pickling those are my favorites 
Brussels sprouts, we really like the Long Island Improved. That one has done fabulous for us. I've been growing it, oh goodness, three years, three, I think three years now. I have to remember back how long I've been doing this specific one. Um, And it's performed really well for us. So I'm very happy with it. When it comes to butternut squash, we always grow the heirloom, the Waltham butternut squash. Um, It does pretty good for us. And usually, I was telling you approximately how many of these I started out that we grow for a year's worth. Now, remember, my year's worth and your year's worth are probably going to be different based on family size, how much you're eating of that specific crop and your growing climate. And to figure that out, if you don't know, this is going to come as a big surprise, too. I have charts for all of that in the family garden plan that you can go and get access. And actually, at the time of this recording, you absolutely get the charts in the book. So you're going to want to do that because there's a lot of charts. But if you go to familygardenplan.com, the how much to plant per person worksheet that's straight from the book, you can actually get it for free. But for the beans, so let me go back because I didn't actually tell you that. Usually for the beans, um, I do about 30 to 40 bean plants, which ends up being about... um, three teepees with the, the the way that we trellis our green beans. And then with the shelled beans, we don't eat as much shelled beans as we do green beans. And so usually for the October beans, I end up doing about 15 to 20 plants. So not quite as many as the green beans. And then for the beets, oh my goodness, I don't even know how many of you guys I do of that a year Um, I should have that calculated out. One would think, right? I wrote a book on it, (laughs) but I succession plant and them. So I'm almost always have a crop of beets in the ground, except for the very middle of summer when it's really hot out. In fact, I still have rows under my row covers right now of beets. And the time of this recording is January. I still have beets out in the ground that I haven't harvested yet from the fall crop um, that are doing beautifully. And I'm just letting them stay out there in the ground um, and then just pulling them up as I needed. So let me do a quick think here in my head. My son doesn't like beets. Let me preface with that. My daughter likes them roasted. She's not too, she doesn't eat a ton of pickled like I do. I tend to be the one that eats them all pickled, but my husband and my daughter love them roasted. And my son He likes them in chocolate cake because he doesn't actually know that there's beets in the chocolate cake. (laughs) So that's usually the way that I get him to eat the beets. But we I probably do about 50 to 60. I'm guessing, like I said, I plant them kind of in succession rows. And so I need to keep better track of that. But that's kind of how much I guess we would put in for a year. For the Brussels sprouts, we love our Brussels sprouts. Oh, my goodness. Though they are one of our absolute favorites. And so we actually put in for the Brussels sprouts about 16 to 18 plants. Now for carrots, my favorite variety. Oh, I didn't tell you how many of the butternut. I'm going to get this down by the end of this episode, I promise. So for butternut squash, I usually do uh, one to two hills, which usually ends up being about six to eight plants. Carrots, the variety that I do for carrots is the Danvers Half Long. I love these carrots, even if they get larger, like sometimes I don't always get them pulled up in time because they will winter over beautifully. I just pulled the last ones out of the ground last week to make soup that I had that were fresh in the ground. The rest of them I've got dehydrated up or canned. Um, But I love them because even if they get a little bit larger or you let them grow longer and they should have been harvested, 
Unlike a lot of other carrots that I have grown or had, they don't get really woody in the center, even if they're humongous, and they still have really good flavor. Sometimes if you let them get too big or they get overdeveloped, they can be kind of woody and you don't really want the center of them and they don't have really good flavor. I haven't really experienced that with these Danvers half longers like I have with other varieties. Um, They seem to be a really good germinating carrot for us. I don't have any issues with them germinating. Sometimes carrot seed can be a little bit harder to get germinated. So this is one of my favorite varieties. And for the carrots, again, I do these and I do a lot of my root crops, um, ones that will grow in the cooler weather of the spring, as well as in the fall, I do in succession planting. So I don't plant them all out at once. And believe you me, you probably have not really ever counted out your carrot seeds. They are tiny. Rather, I plant the row and then I go back and thin as they start to sprout up. But for us with the carrots, which my husband and my son do not like carrots, I really like carrots. And so I'm prefacing that because However, if everybody in your family loves something, you're going to be planting a lot more of it because they're all going to be eating it. So I tend to be more of the carrot eater in our family. Apparently, I'm the root vegetable lover in our family, I guess. Um, So I probably do between I'm going to guesstimate between about 30 and 40 carrots, roughly, probably closer to 50. And then I will let some of them overwinter if I don't get to them or we haven't used them to go to seed for the next the following year. So I kind of always have carrots growing in the garden. Now, next is cucumber, and my favorite cucumber to grow is a Chicago pickling cucumber. And the reason that I like the Chicago pickling cucumber is it acts as a dual purpose cucumber, meaning it tastes great fresh eating wise. So I'll just pick it fresh, eat it on, you know, salads, whatever, however you like to. I like to slice um, cucumbers and make a homemade ranch dressing and or garlic dip and just dip them in that. Drizzle them with a little bit of vinegar, salt and pepper. I love a cucumber. So they're great fresh eating, but they make a great pickling cucumber. They don't get overly huge. They stay pretty crisp, which is always key. There's things that you can do when you're making your pickles, especially canning your pickles from cucumbers to help ensure that they stay crisp or to make them be more crisp because nobody likes a mushy pickle, which I promise will be. I will have a guide and episode coming out on that when we get closer to summer and preserving time, because many, many of you have asked for help on keeping your home canned pickles crisp and crunchy. So we will be addressing that. But part of that starts with picking the right type of cucumber. And the Chicago Chicago pickling cucumber is one of my favorite picks. And it's actually the only cucumber that I really grow because I can use it both ways, pickling and fresh eating. It also is fairly prolific, which is good because when your cucumbers are coming on, you want to make sure that you have enough to can up a batch because there's I don't just can one jar of anything when I'm canning. Um, And so I want to make sure that I have enough coming on the plants at the same time from the amount of plants that I have in that I can at least do a small run. And when I say run, that's however many jars I have in the canner at one time, kind of canning lingo. And I usually will try to make sure I'm doing at least three to four jars to can up. So for the Chicago pickling cucumber, Again, that depends on how many jars you're putting up, but I usually find about nine plants is perfect for us. I'm able to can up quite a bit, um, ferment them, of course, fresh eating. That tends to be right about the magic number for us. 
Okay, next is kale. And I really like the blue curled scotch kale. I like the curly kale. I like the flavor of it. It tends to grow really well for me. I think it makes the best kale chips, which is how I get my kids to eat a lot of kale is by making homemade kale chips. And I actually have that recipe that I use and how I make my garlic kale chips up on the blog. So if you go to today's blog post, it's with this episode that Moscanoris dot com forward slash two two nine. I will link in the resources to my kale chip recipe for you. But I also love kale because it's something I can plant in the spring and early summer and it overwinters like a dream. We've had freezing weather, haven't really had snow too much. We've had quite a bit of mixed, but lots of freezing weather, cold and a lot of rain. And it just keeps going like a champ. I can harvest kale almost all the way through into March, um, like all winter. So kale is one of my favorites just because of that. And we usually put in, I find kale is, my kale is pretty prolific. So I usually do about four about four to six plants of kale. And that is plenty to take us through for a year. Up next, I've got onion. So we grow copra, which is a yellow variety of onion. It's a long day variety, which means it needs to have quite a few hours of sunlight. So it's one that I plant in the late spring. And then we're harvesting usually around August here is when I'm pulling that out. So it needs plenty of sunlight. But I really like it because it's an excellent storage onion. So I grow 50 onions. And that's almost an onion a week, give or take on average. And that is usually enough to take us through really close to a full year's worth of onions. So when I harvest my onions, which like I said, is usually around August when we're harvesting and letting them cure, depending on the weather for the year, I need to make sure that they're going to store well just in my pantry just cured, dried, and braided, and that they don't sprout or start to rot or turn to mush. And the copra has had really good storage for us. So it's one of the, it is the main onion variety that I grow. Sometimes I'll throw in some fun, you know, green onions are fun and purple onions. They don't tend to have the long storage of the shelf life like the copra though. So I always do the copra and like about 50 of them. And then the others are just kind of fun uh, supplemental eating that we have more at harvest time, end of summer in the first part of fall. Okay, up next is peas. And I grow a sugar snap pea because I love sugar snap peas or a snow pea. I They're crunchy. I can grow them in the spring and in the fall. I really like crops that don't that I'm not limited growing, I should say, just during the warm weather. I like to put in crops that I can take advantage and have a longer growing season in the spring and in the fall when we have cooler temps. And a sugar snap or a snow pea definitely fits that bill. And I usually put in probably about, I would say about 10 plants usually. And then I kind of will do that spring crop and then I'll do another one later for plant it in the summer, but for a fall harvest or end of summer harvest once our temps start to cool back down. Up next is pepper. And I love the King of the North, which is a red bell pepper. Now, of course, I can pick them when they are green and just use them as a green pepper. But if I let them mature on the vine, then they will turn into that red bell pepper. And that one has done pretty well for me, like I said, in this more cooler northern climate, where sometimes it can be harder to grow those warmer weather crops. And usually peppers, especially hot peppers, really need to have that heat. And sometimes we struggle with our weather here to provide that. So the king of the north does well. That north is your kind of key indicator there. It does well in a cooler climate. 
that one does really good. And usually I do about, oh, let me think here. I usually do probably 10, close to 10, six to 10, kind of depending on the year and how much salsa I need to put up because I do use um, some of the pepper there in my salsa and other things like that. So kind of depends, but usually about that amount for my peppers for the year and then we'll dehydrate up or freeze for like stir fries and different things like that, the remainder of them. And then the other pepper that I really enjoy is called a lipstick pepper and it's a sweet red pepper. It has really good flavor. I love to do it roasted and stir fries or do like a tomato sweet pepper soup is one of my favorites. So I really love to throw it in that. And it does well for me. It's an Italian sweet pepper, that lipstick pepper, but it does well for me in this more northern climate, surprisingly. So that's one that I originally got. I believe it was from Baker Creek, actually, that lipstick pepper originally got from them, but then have seed saved and kind of have my own now. So I just keep replanting from that, but I seed save from it. And if you are curious on where to buy heirloom seeds, then you want to check out the previous episode, number 228, which is where to buy heirloom seeds, the heirloom hybrid and GMO differences, things that you need to be aware of. And I will link to that one for you too in the resources blog post for this episode. Okay, up next is pumpkin. Oh, on the lipstick pepper, I usually probably do about three to four of those ones. They're not quite as big. They're a a longer, skinnier pepper. Um, So I usually do a little bit more of the red bell peppers because they're a larger pepper and I can stuff those and use them in meals and stuff a little bit easier than the lipstick ones or as far as like a main meal with the stuffing. Um, Just for a little bit of reference on the number difference there of the number that I plant. Okay, up next is pumpkin. And I love a New England sugar pie pumpkin. So a sugar pumpkin or a pie pumpkin, they're the smaller pumpkin, but they have sweeter flesh and a sweeter flavor. And so I don't usually grow the jack-o'-lantern type pumpkins um, because I only want like one or two if my kids want to carve one out or something like that. So I do the sugar pie pumpkins and I can still use the seeds and roast them and do all those fun things. But the flavor is oh so good on a sugar pie pumpkin. So the New England sugar pie is the one that I've been growing for the past couple of years. Been really happy with that, with its production and all of the storage capabilities of it as well after they have been harvested and cured. I do can some of them up, which can be pressure canned in cubed format is the only safe way to can those. But I have where we harvested and cured them in September and it is now January. And you can see that in the newest YouTube video but they are still just sitting on the floor of my pantry. They are still great. Um, So I really love any type of the varieties that I'm growing. It's key for me that they have good preservation characteristics. So for the pumpkins, I usually only do like two hills. So usually that's between six to eight plants. And that provides me with a ton of pumpkin. Um, Of course, I love to put them into pumpkin rolls, one of our absolute favorites, Um, you know, pumpkin quick bread, pumpkin muffins. I'm not actually a huge fan of pumpkin pie, but I do bake pumpkin pies for the holidays because I'm the pie baker. Pumpkin roll is by far my favorite. But our other way that we love for pumpkin is to do a pumpkin soup. Oh, my goodness. Pumpkin soup is like kind of my favorite right now. Up next, which you guys have heard this before if you've listened or heard me talk about tomatoes very often, but my favorite variety is the San Marzano Lungo Number 2, which is an heirloom Italian paste variety. And this does well for me. I grow it in our high tunnel. I keep it undercover up here um, just to make sure that I don't get water on it so that we don't deal with any blight. But this is a variety that should grow well for you, even if you're in a more warmer or more southern climate. It should do really well for you. 
but that's the San Marzano Lungo number two, which the Lungo number two is a specific heirloom variety that I originally got from Baker Creek. But any if it says San Marzano and it's a paste tomato, you should be good to go. Okay. And I do of that San Marzano Lungo, which is what I make all of our salsa out of stewed canned tomatoes, pasta sauce, tomato sauce, pizza sauce, all the things with tomatoes. I do 18 to 20 plants. They're pretty prolific. They are great producers. And I get enough tomatoes off of those to can up and preserve and fresh eating for the whole year. And then for zucchini, we do the Black Beauty. I like the flavor of that one better than others. We've tried some other varieties in the past, but my husband too, he's like, man, we need to go back to that one. So that's the one that I always grow. And we usually do about six plants of zucchini for the year because zucchini are normally very, very prolific and we get a lot of zucchini and I don't preserve a ton of zucchini. I'll do I'll flash freeze some to add to soups and stir fries and sauces and I'll dehydrate some in noodle format, zoodles, and dehydrate that up. But mainly we are really big at just about eating the zucchini when it's fresh and I'll grate and freeze some too to use in like quick breads and muffins. So I shouldn't say that I don't preserve any. I do preserve some, but I don't preserve as much of that as I do other things um, because I can't can it. And zucchini does not have any type of shelf life like winter squash does or, you know, pumpkin and winter squash do pretty well that way. But zucchini is not definitely is something in the fridge. And even then you've got, you know, maybe a couple of weeks max in the crisper drawer to use it before it'll start to go bad. Oh, and I forgot I forgot. So this is an alphabetical order because I forgot to say it in alphabetical order. But garlic, grow a year's worth of garlic and a soft nut garlic is what I like to grow mainly because I think this the particular variety, which is red in chilium soft nut garlic, it was found actually at the Colville Indian Reservation in Washington state. This variety was kind of rediscovered there, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, but it grows really well here for me. And I like it because it has a long storage shelf life. So it will last. I will cure it, dry it, braid it and put it in the pantry, hang it up in there where there's no light. And it'll last me clear through until the next summer. So it'll last for a full year. So a long storage life is really important for me on my garlic varieties. I'll grow some other hard neck varieties just for fun. Um, I don't even remember the variety name. I just kind of will grab a couple if I'm at the garden center and I see them of the hard neck and just plop those in and grow them. But it's the red and chilium soft neck garlic. It also has won a couple of different taste testing awards for being really good flavor. And it's one of those, it's not too hot. So it doesn't, you know, I don't like it to be super bitey, but I do want it to have the flavor. We love garlic. I cook with a lot of garlic. So usually for us, um, probably about, gosh, I should know these numbers, you guys. I need to write them down better. But I probably do on garlic, I would say, again, probably about, goodness, probably between 25 to 45 bulbs. And it kind of depends on how much I have left over from the previous year, like there's been some years where I like way over planted and we just didn't go through it as much. And then other years where I'm like, oh, goodness. And I started to run short. So that's kind of my average. And I kind of look at it that way. Like how many bulbs am I using in a week? And I don't always use a full bulb. I'll definitely use cloves in a week, but not always a full bulb. So kind of average it out that way to depend on how much I'm growing for a year. That's definitely the variety that we grow. And then the number of bulbs kind of fluctuates from year to year. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. And like I said, to get your hands on the worksheets and the charts to help you pick the best varieties for your growing season and climate, as well as how many to plant for your family, because it's going to different from mine. And then help you with your seed starting, finding the best places to plant them, and then using some of those season extenders, like I mentioned, I'm doing with my root crops to be able to harvest and grow them pretty much all year long. All of that is covered and more in my new book, The Family Garden Plan, which just released yesterday. So go to familygardenplan.com to check out the bonuses and all of the other amazing stuff and to get your copy. It's 20 plus years, all of my gardening experience, what I learned from my parents growing up as a fifth generation homesteader, and then a ton of research went into the companion planting, the crop rotation, like there was more research done and on the organic and natural ways for pest and bug repellents. I think there was more research done for this book than I've done in any other book. I'm talking hours of going over university studies and extension offices and even studies abroad if there weren't studies in the U.S. all compiled down in an easy format for the backyard gardener and charts for you to be able to just go and quickly access and then put to work in your garden. So my friends, if you are growing any type of food this year, any type of garden, you want to go and get your hands on this copy. It is going to be your guidebook and your companion throughout all of it from the planning to the harvesting, every single aspect. And if you did get your copy already and you pre-ordered, thank you so much. Please tag me and share with me on Instagram, Facebook, email me, wherever you're hanging out and let me know what your favorite parts were. I can't wait to hear what parts you're eager to implement and what your favorite sections were of the book. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. And I will be back here with you on Friday when we're going to be diving into today was all about the veggies. But on Friday, episode number 230, we're going to be talking how much you need to plant and how to figure that out when it comes to your fruits and berries. Okay. So meet me back here on Friday. Thank you.